So tonight's reading is taken from Psalm 103, um, page 605. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns your love um, and crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to all the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass, they flourish like a, flat, um, like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Well, good evening, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Hugh, Hugh Thompson, one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you here. I hope, I hope you're glad you're here. I hope coming to church on a Sunday is something that you look forward to, something that you, you really want to do, and not something that you do, well, just out of habit, something that you do even maybe out of a sense of duty, We've just been singing praises to God, haven't we? The band's been great. And perhaps you, perhaps your heart wasn't quite in it. Perhaps you know you ought to enjoy church and you feel that you should uh, take delight in worshipping with God's people, but sometimes you just don't feel like it. Is that you? Well, we'll take some reassurance from this. Even David felt like that. King David. King David, whom God described as a man after my own heart. But here in the psalm, we find David addressing himself. And he says, praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. All my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord. You see how David has to stir himself up? to pray. See how he has to give himself a talking to. 
And the psalm begins and ends with the same words. Praise the Lord, my soul. That's what the whole psalm is about. And it's important. It's it's fundamentally important. Because perhaps sometimes we're tempted to say, well, look, I know my doctrine and I know I'm saved and I'm sure I'm going to heaven. So what's your problem? Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Heaven will be all about praising God. Heaven will be all about praising God. And if you don't enjoy worship just now, it doesn't mean God is boring. It means you don't know God well enough. The more you know about God, the more you know God, the more you delight in worshiping God. The greatest thing, someone has said, the the greatest thing in heaven will be the worship of God. And so it should be on earth. And sometimes I speak to people and they say something like this. They say, look, I can worship God perfectly well on my own at home. This is just between me and God. I don't need to come to church. And I simply don't think that's right. I think worship is a bit like going on holiday. You see something beautiful and you want someone with you to share it with and say, look at that. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that lovely? And that's really what we're doing in church when we worship, isn't it? We're saying to each other, singing to each other, look at God. Isn't God amazing? Look at God. Look what God has done. And and we celebrate that together. And that's worship. Martin Luther said, at home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. So here's David giving himself a talking to. Praise the Lord, my soul. Listen up, soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Maybe that's what you need to do this evening, is it? Maybe you're here and you need to give yourself a talking to. Maybe your, your heart is cold towards God. I think it's easy to think that worship is something that should always be spontaneous. It should just happen. But that's not always true. Our, I think praise can be hard work. Our, pray, our, our hearts are sometimes cold. Our, our, our thoughts are often sinful. Our minds get taken up with all the worries and concerns and things of this world and what you're going to do tomorrow and all sorts of things. I mean, is that just me? Or, or is that you too? What should we do? Should we, should we just give up and say, well, look, I'm not in a praising mood today. I'll skip it. There's no point in going to church if I don't feel like it. No point in going to home group or student plus or whatever if I don't feel like it. That's not what David does, is it? It just isn't. David stirs himself up. Look what God is like. Look what God has done. Praise the Lord, O my soul. David deliberately reflects He takes time to remember. It it takes him a whole psalm to set it out. Well, not just one psalm. 
I wonder if you ever arrive at church on a Sunday and you find yourself saying, well, my, my heart isn't in this today. I, I know I ought to praise God, but I just don't feel like it. Well, let me politely ask you this. Have you prepared yourself to worship God? If you're a regular at City, have you looked at the church program and read the passage that's going to be preached? Have you prayed about the service? Have you stirred yourself up like David? Now, I know life is busy and there's all sorts of things that crowd in, but we prepare ourselves for all sorts of other activities. Well, we do, don't we? Before you go to an interview, before you go out on a date, you you iron your shirt, you do your hair, right? Before you sit in the exam, you read and you study. Before you have a baby, you go to antenatal classes. These things are important to you. You set aside time to do them, to get it right. So what about worshiping God? Are we more casual about that? More careless? David takes time to stir himself up. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise, it means bless. It's about recognizing and declaring the attributes and the glory of God. Think with me. Think with me of a little child who goes to school and then comes back home with a picture that she's drawn and she shows it proudly to her mother and poor mum looks at it and she doesn't have the faintest clue what it is she's drawn. But she says, oh, it's lovely, dear. But she's completely in the dark. That's not what it's like when we consider God. We have a whole catalogue of reasons to praise God. And David sets out to remind himself and us. Worship means, but worship doesn't mean giving God something he doesn't have. Worship is about acknowledging God, acknowledging what God already is and what God has done. So stir yourselves up, says David. Think. Verse 2, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Listen to J.C. Ryle in his little book, Holiness. It's a great book to read. He said this, Does the debtor in jail love the friend who unexpectedly pays all his debts? Does the prisoner of war love the man who breaks through enemy lines, rescues him and sets him free? Does the drowning sailor love the man who plunges in the sea, dives after him, and by a mighty effort saves him from a watery grave? And Ryle says a very child can answer questions like that. So what about us and God? David says, do you want some reasons? Do I, do I need to give you some reasons to praise God? He has to give himself some reasons, some reminders. Well, here you are, says David. Here you are. Are you ready? Praise the Lord. He supplies all your needs. He supplies all your needs. So verse 3, he forgives all your sins He heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And some people have said, well, well, David's responding to some particular deliverance. 
Has David been ill? Has he been under attack? Has he been in danger? But when you look at this list of things David's giving praise for, he's listing God's blessings. Are these not the same blessings you have if you're a Christian? Verse 3, he forgives all your sins. That's the gospel. He heals all your diseases. Well, doctors and nurses do a great job, but they're only channels for God's healing. Surgeon can suture the edges of the wound together. He can't make it heal. Who redeems your life from the pit. There's the gospel again. Saved from hell. Who crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things. Where does our food come from? Our clothing, our families, life itself. Who makes your heart beat? Who puts oxygen in the air so you can breathe it with your lungs? Do we take all that for granted? So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And the eagle in the Bible is always a a picture of, of tireless vigor. All our powers, all our abilities, all our gifts, all our blessings, everything we have is given to us by God. It's quite a catalogue, isn't it? God forgives you, heals you, redeems you, crowns you, satisfies you. Now, maybe you didn't feel like praising when you turned up at church this evening. Is your soul being stirred up, thinking of these things? Praise the Lord. He supplies all your needs. And David goes on to tell us something else about God. He's just. Verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. How do you feel about that? Huh? Maybe you'd rather say God is love and leave it at that. Certainly God's justice is good news if you're the oppressed that David talks about in that verse. David's looking back to how God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and slavery. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. There they were groaning in slavery and helpless and oppressed, and God rescued them and brought them through the Red Sea at the Exodus. And as you go on in the story, afterwards in the desert, God revealed himself to Moses. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. David is quoting word for word from the history of Israel in the Old Testament. Do you remember what had happened? Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God, and by the time he got back, the Israelites had made a golden calf and they were worshipping it. It was the most shocking and dreadful idolatry, a complete disaster, and God threatened to destroy the whole nation. And Moses pleaded with God for mercy and God forgave them. And then, then Moses asked to see God's glory. And here's how God responded. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And that's what God is like. And that's David's experience of God. David, flawed and sinful, 
David, you remember, committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he was guilty of having Bathsheba's husband killed in the battlefield. You can read all about it in 2 Samuel 11. David had broken at least two of the Ten Commandments, murder and adultery. He deserved nothing but condemnation and death. But when he repents, God forgives him. And now he writes, verse 9, God will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Now, if you're here this evening and you're a Christian, you know something about that, don't you? Praise the Lord. He forgives all your sins, supplies all your needs. He forgives all your sins. He forgives your sins, not because you deserve it, because you don't. Left to ourselves, you and I are no different from the Israelites on their knees worshipping that wretched golden calf. Well, that's right, isn't it? Left to ourselves, we're no different. Before we were saved, we were rebels against God. But God has shown us grace. Verse 10, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Just as well, isn't it? How, how different from men and women. We do harbor anger. We do try to get our own back against people when they harm us. Not God. God is gracious. And God is compassionate. When Napoleon was emperor of France, a young man deserted from his army and was brought before the emperor and Napoleon ordered him to be shot. And the man's mother came and she begged for her son's life. Have mercy on him, she said. And Napoleon said, he doesn't deserve mercy. And the mother said, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. Now that's the truth of the gospel. God gives us what we don't deserve. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Our consciences tell us what we deserve if we listen to them, but God's love is greater than our consciences. What David didn't know, what David could only dimly glimpse at, was this, that God in his justice was going to pour out on Jesus what we deserve. Here's Paul writing to the Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God didn't just turn a blind eye to sin. He saved his wrath up and poured it all out on Jesus on the cross. God did not treat us as our sins deserved. God treated Jesus as our sins deserved. Praise the Lord, he forgives all your sins because of Jesus. And David goes on, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. What a lovely picture of the completeness of our forgiveness if we're Christians. How high are the heavens? Well, higher than we can begin to imagine. How far is the east from the west? 
Well, if you go north long ago, you'll, long, long enough, you'll get to the pole and you'll be going south again. But you can keep on going east forever. You can keep on going west forever. Look, our sins are gone if we believe in the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord, he forgives all your sins. Praise the Lord, O my soul. How many reasons you have as one of God's people to praise God. Praise the Lord, he supplies all your needs. Praise the Lord, he forgives all your sins. Thirdly, praise the Lord, he understands all your weaknesses. Verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God is a father to Christians. And for some of that, us, that's a difficult picture because our experience of a human father was difficult or maybe we didn't know our father. For others, it warms our hearts as we remember the love of our fathers. What is it that makes the love of a parent so special? Well, maybe at least this. They know everything about us. They've seen us growing up. They've changed our nappy, given us our food, encouraged us when we struggle, been patient with us when we're foolish, disciplined us when we were disobedient. Parents have seen us at our best and our worst. You can put on a, a show for the world, you put on a brave face when things are tough. Not with your parents. They know everything. Your parents' home is where you can go and be yourself. And that's the situation with us and God. God knows everything about us. Of course he does. He made us. Verse 14, he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. You're never going to do anything that shocks God. You're never going to surprise God by anything you do or say. You're never going to hear God saying, gosh, I never thought you'd do that. He knows you inside out better than you know yourself. God knows our thoughts and our feelings and our hormones and our joys and our sorrows and our temptations. God knows everything. He knows it all and he understands it all. Put a finger in Psalm 103 for a moment and turn over a few pages to Psalm 139. It's on page 628 if you're using a church Bible. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 and verse 13. It's David again, and he writes, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, what should that mean for your relationship with God? There's no need for any pretense with God. There's no point in trying to put on any sort of a show with God. There's no point in editing your prayer so you don't tell God some things you don't want him to know. It's silly 
to try and hide things from God. He understands all your weaknesses and he accepts you anyway. Perhaps one of our greatest weaknesses as human beings in this world is our mortality. Back in Psalm 103, verse 15, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. Every year in early summer, when I walk up out of my house onto Augustus Road, I see these magnificent magnolia trees in the gardens there. Most beautiful flowers, but they're only there for three or four days, and then all the petals are in the ground and it's over. And our lives are like that. They just are. Like the, the old hymn says, we blossom and flourish as leaves in a tree and wither and perish. Look at verse 15. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. All life ends up in a wooden box with brass handles. And even the inscription in the tomb will fade and disappear. Which of us can remember our great-grandparents? Not many. Our great-great-grandparents? Death is something we don't talk about in our society. We put dying people behind screens in hospital wards and we build high walls around cemeteries. We fear death. It's, it's the finality and futility that it seems to bring to everything in life. In one of his novels, Sebastian Fox describes a woman visiting his dying mother and how the woman felt. This is what he says. It was not just that when her mother died, everything would be changed. The problem was that the death threw doubt over all the years before. To think that this meaningless termination was what all the time was lying in wait seemed to undermine the value of the happiness they had accumulated. The photos in their frames and albums looked ridiculous. Her mother in the picture in her bedroom was not a confident young woman in the flower of early motherhood, but a victim, ignorant of the casual annihilation that awaited her. That's the world's view of death. I, I, I remember feeling a bit like that when my mother died. She wasn't a Christian. And I came across, we went through her things, I came across a photograph of her on her graduation day in 1946 in Aberdeen University. And she looked so happy and proud. And I thought, what was the point? But, look at verse 17. One of the great buts in Scripture. This life may be short, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Praise the Lord. He loves you for all eternity. He supplies all your needs. He forgives all your sins. He understands all your weaknesses and he loves you for all eternity. Verse 17, from everlasting to everlasting. The word everlasting here literally means vanishing point. 
So look backwards until history disappears because there's no documents or records and turn and look forwards until thought and imagination just die out and, and it can take you no further. And God is there at both points, unchanged, loving his people from beginning to end, from everlasting to everlasting. God loves his children from eternity past to eternity future. Yes, we're weak and frail. Yes, our stay in this earth is very brief. But if we belong to Jesus, we have a promise of everlasting life to come. Now, I don't know how David understood that a thousand years before Christ, but we know Christ rose from the dead. And we know that in him, as Christians, we'll rise to eternal life. Praise the Lord, he loves you for all eternity. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. If I was preaching in a certain sort of church, I'd be waiting for an amen there. Praise the Lord, he supplies all your needs. Amen. Praise the Lord, he forgives all your sins. Amen. Praise the Lord, he understands all your weaknesses. Amen. Praise the Lord, he loves you for all eternity. Amen. Gosh, you're so English. <laughs> David has given us reasons to stir ourselves up to praise God. And he finishes the psalm with an appeal to the whole of creation to do the same. Verse 20, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, he supplies all your needs. He forgives all your sins. He understands all your weaknesses. He loves you for all eternity. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Yes, let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the sort of God you are. How we thank you that when we just take the time to stop and think and look at you and look at ourselves, look at our lives, look what you've given us, look what you've done for us, look what you've promised us, that we're filled with joy and prompted to praise you. Help us to go out into this week Whatever we're doing, even if we're, we're new in Birmingham and going to university for the first time or going back to a job or looking after children or whatever we're doing, help us to remember what you've done for us and what you're like and to praise your name. Amen. <laughs>